0: True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network.
1: This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Very excited to be with you here today with Mr. Jerome Myers. Jerome, how are you, buddy? Amazing, Justin. So grateful that you have me on your show, man. Thanks. I am glad to finally get you on the show. As we were just talking about, we met in person. Uh, we've talked a while, but never got you on the podcast. So here we are, you're on the show. And I know you've got a really great true multifamily story to share with us today, but for those uh, who live under a rock or don't know Jerome, can you uh, give us a little bit of an introduction to
0: you and to uh, to what you're doing? Yeah, man. I'm just a corporate America dropout who buys apartments and shows other people how to do the same. Uh, back in 2016, I left corporate America to pursue this dream, got turned away a bunch of times because I didn't have experience and so I went and fixed and flipped, had somebody show up, ended up being an experienced partner. And then we got into this deal that we're gonna talk about today. And boy, did my eyes get open. So you
1: started off with flipping and, uh, and then how, how long were you flipping before you got into multifamily?
0: It took me about a year to get the first deal done. So I flipped along the way. I went to 10 banks when I got ready to leave corporate and they all told me they weren't gonna give me a loan. And right. I- didn't really understand why. And so when I gave up on that, I started flipping and then met the right people and finally got the close in about a year. Got it. Got it. And so we were ta- chatting
1: before, by the way, Jerome is everywhere. So if you want all of Jerome's story, um, actually, you know what, let's take this chance, Jerome, please go ahead and plug your podcast where people can find out more about you.
0: Yeah, so if you're listening to this, then you're a multifamily investor, you want to be. We've got a podcast called Multifamily Missteps. We bring operators on from around the country to talk about their missteps. And the Love whole goal it. is to elevate the collective intelligence of the operator community. Whether you want to get in or you're already in, you're going to learn a lot there. We've had people like Kenny Wolf, and we also have my man Sam Stilwell. So somebody with the 3,000 plus unit portfolio and somebody with a triplex. And we just go through the whole thing of understanding what happened, how they got into the situation, what they did to make sure they never end up in that situation again. And sometimes they even tell you how much it costs to make that mistake. (laughs) It's uh, education, right? Education.
1: Well, I love that because uh, true multifamily listeners, if you don't listen to that show already, our shows are so aligned. There's so much overlap uh, in content uh, and and mission uh, in that it's all about the operations of the property. So I love that you're getting your guests to open up and share their missteps and, and lessons learned and uh, it's 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 really great. It's really great. So if, if you don't know Jerome, please go listen to that show. And at the end, he'll he'll give us some other ways that that we can reach out to Jerome. But let's let's jump right into it, man. First, tell us the story about this 23 unit you're flipping. How you found it, and then I know you got some multifamily missteps here. So <laughs> let's start talking through it. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Yeah. So you kind of build your own thing, right? You got to scratch your own itch. And so I was listening to everybody around the country trying to get educated because, you know, that's what you do. You listen to a bunch of podcasts, you read books. And we had this deal in hand and it was like, this isn't matching up. They said do this. But when I try to do this, then I got to do that. What does that really mean, Jerome? So we bought a 23 unit. I thought I was going to buy it. I took this deal to the banks in January. They all told me, no, I had my 50 page business plan that I put together and said, oh man, we can do this. And they looked at me and they said, Jerome, you don't have the right experience. I said, well, I'm a licensed engineer and started going down all the things that I'd done, MBA, all this stuff. They said, no, you haven't bought a property of this size and executed this business plan. I was like, how difficult can this really be?
1: <laughs> right. right,
0: Yeah. And so to put things in context, there's a 23 unit building, townhome style. We were gonna go in and basically change everything. Roofs, parking lot, landscaping, take out a wall on the first floor to make the living space and kitchen connect, uh, add a half bath on the first floor. This is on slabs, so we're jackhammering concrete, right. we put in new pipes, uh, add a laundry room, and then redo the tile upstairs, paint everything, put new flooring in, and boom, we got it, right? It can't yeah. be that complicated. I've been flipping houses. Easy peasy. Yeah. And so first thing we did wrong was we modeled it, and I underestimated the construction budget. The bank was absolutely right. Had they given me the loan and let me do this by myself, I would have went bankrupt. I just wouldn't have had enough cash in order to be able to go through it. We thought that we were going to renovate the property on terms. We ended up going to zero, Justin. Zero cash flow on a million dollar plus asset.
1: Okay, let's let's pause right there because there's a lot that you've you've already brought us through. Zero. Uh, you're talking about occupancy, right? So you had you went from how many tenants when you closed? Twenty three. You were fully occupied when you closed, okay? And how soon after that were you zero? Four months. Wow. that's uh that's tough right and in your plan especially when your plan was built to renovate as you go on your your turns right so you were probably expecting a 90 plus percent occupancy the whole time which means you're going to cash flow as you go
0: yeah. so
1: so talk about that talk about what series of events went brought you from 23 to 0 and and what you did about it
0: yeah so what happened one Uh, people weren't paying rent we thought they were they weren't so our property manager evicted them because they weren't paying rent and then he's like well we'll just leave it vacant because we got to renovate them anyway and it's like but we're not ready to renovate those yet plan was we do four at a time and so now we're at seven or eight and then more people weren't paying and it just kept going down this path and then we thought hey lease expires person instead of Renewing their lease, we now renew them, they move out, we renovate. So we had the confluence of people not paying, people's leases expiring, and they didn't want to live there anymore, so they moved out, and it became Armageddon. It's just boom. And then I think there were a few, I don't want to call them scragglers, but I don't know what else to call them at this point, who <laughs> were still there in that last month. And that was when we realized that, hey, this sewer pipe is broken and we've got to replace it. So we've got to get everybody out of the building now because we don't have any working sewer. The sewer pipe going into the building was broken. Yeah. Coming the out. Outflow. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wow. Um, so I, I just want to really highlight this because it, it's so, you know, you listen to podcasts and there's so much about, okay, we're going to buy, we're going to renovate on the turns. That sounds great. Right. You're hearing all this, this, you're reading all these books. Like this sounds great. Like picture perfect plan here but things can go really sideways, really fast. So when you say the tenants weren't paying, is that that they weren't paying prior to closing? Is that a due diligence um, issue or, is it just that a new new manager, new owner came in
0: and they just didn't want to pay you when they were paying previously? I, I mean, I think it's a combination of both, right? Even if a person's late on rent or not paying during due diligence, or even if they are paying during due diligence, there is no guarantee once you close that they're going to pay you. Absolutely. It, it is a wild animal and people don't actually think about multifamily that way, but it's a wild animal, especially when you're buying what we buy, which is stuff that's mismanaged and we're looking to come in implement new systems and processes in order to maximize the efficiency of the property and so if the residents haven't been trained to pay on time or in a timely manner then what do you do right yeah evict them that's what happens right yeah that's your hammer i'm going to evict you you can offer a carrot but it all usually comes back to what's your hammer and so we're going to evict you and the fact of the matter was the plan was to grow rents pretty dramatically. And so this is a great part about podcasts, right? I could come on here and spin this whole thing, Justin. Justin, we bought this property, at, we were average rents for $6.95, and today we rent those pro- that property for $11.95, brother. Woo! This has been a home run, <laughs> slam dunk, and anybody who's been a partner in this deal is gonna get an astronomical return. I mean, if you just do the math on that cap spread, on the spread, using the cap rate, we've guaranteed at least doubling maybe 250% the money that was put in place in that deal. We got another offering come up and it'd be amazing if you join us on that, right? I could tell you that mm-hmm. and leave out all the other stuff because all, of, all that I said is true, but as an operator, all this other stuff, all of the headache and why you were able to get that type of return gets left out.
1: Yeah. It's a long journey to get there, and what you just said in that 10-second summary sounds fantastic. Of course, um, which which is the need for for shows like yours and mine, because we've we've got to dig in on what happened. So, Jerome, I I, I before we move on, I want to just. Uh, dig in on this one more time. And and next time, right? So the next property you buy or, or the next time you're evaluating a deal and it's got 23 tenants in there and your plan is to renovate as you go, what changes do you make to your plan or to your approach or to your due diligence so that your property doesn't go to zero?
0: I don't know that you can fix that, Justin, right? It's just like a flip. Once you're in it, you've got to go through it. The property conditions can change and you have to deal with it. Now, with that said, there have been times where we've closed on deals and we didn't bring all the money in up front and for renovations. And that is now a non-negotiable because it doesn't matter if you go to zero if you have the money to do the renovations because it just sped up the process. Right. And so now you've got less revenue in year one than you expected to have. And so you may have to service or you will have to service the debt out of your reserves. But when you get to year two, you're gonna exceed pro forma because the way that the average collected rent or you know your net income is gonna be much higher than you expected because of the vacancy that you would have had if you were executing the business plan into multiple years.
1: Yeah, I love that what you say, just non-negotiable, have your, your construction funds in hand ready to go. Um, you're right, if you hit zero really fast, you could take on those units. Assuming you had scalability and contractors and construction management processes and all that, you could, if you had the cash, you could scale that up quickly, have multiple crews on site and just, just start turning units yeah. one after another. Okay, so, so these units, uh, this property goes down to zero you might've been able to, to put some, some tenants in at a lower rate. If you do just a turn rather than a renovation, but then you get hit with this sewer line. Um, that's, that's broken. Right. So there's like, okay, that's just like a nail in the coffin, right? There's no coming back. So let's now talk about that process and and what happens when, when you discover this.
0: Yeah. So it's a smooth $30,000 seminar for anybody who's wondering. And, you know, we came in, we put the new pipe in and, I'm an engineer, right? I beat my chest. I'm smart. Civil engineer at that. I look at this building. I see the corner of the building is sunk. I see in the kitchen that the front of the cabinets have some wear, like the paint is coming, peeling off. And I don't put the two and two together. That sewage is backing up. It's overflowing through the kitchen sink and running down on the cabinets because the sewer line is broken. All of the signs were there. And I just blew it from a due diligence standpoint. And so, yeah, we find out when we're getting ready to swap out because we wanna tie our new half bathrooms into the sewer line that's existing. And it's like, oh, there's something wrong with this. This isn't working. Oh. So then we put the new one in. We didn't get it permitted. The city inspector comes out. He says, this is new. You didn't file for a permit. This doesn't meet code. Take it out. Take it out. Start over. Start over. Wow. Okay. So
1: ouch. <laughs> All right. That that's a that's a sobering reality. That'll smack you in the face, right? So you've done what work have you done where at the point that he comes out and
0: says, hey, uh, you gotta redo this? Jackhammered. Mm-hmm. However many units so that we could tie in the new toilets lines or drain lines for the toilet and the sink and so i mean we could stop there but we've taken out the wall in between the living room and the kitchen so that we could do all the jackhammer we needed to do in order to connect back into the main and we've done a bunch of outside work because it's our method of operations to go do the outside so that nobody can pull up to the property and tell what's been done, right? It's just, oh, this looks great on the outside. And then we're working on the inside of the units, kind of getting our house clean. And so all of the insides are just destroyed. You can't walk through without tripping over something is the short answer.
1: Yeah. All right, so now now you've ripped it out. City inspector comes in and says, hey, you've got to redo this. So now there's a time factor, right? Because now, how how long does that process take? (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Now we got smart, right? We're, we're going to pull in the old. We're going to pull in the new with the old. So we're just going to hook it up. Explain to the back that. End Explain that. In. So when they put the pipes in instead of because this pipe is running underneath the building, right? Because we've jackhammered down to it. It's like six feet deep. And so instead of trying to dig everything up and pull the old pipe straight up, we just pull it along the line and then we connect our new pipe to the end of the old pipe and bring it all in together. Wow. So what
1: was, what was that? Was that, that was all in in that $30,000?
0: We'll go with that.
1: Yeah. All right. (laughs) So what's um, what do you do differently next time? What's, what's your lesson? Oh, everything.
0: And so we talked about this before, right? Not you and I, but me and the guys. Yeah you permit everything before you close, Yeah, right? If you know you've got a huge renovation that requires permits, get your permit so that you can get the ground running. You know, your due diligence is gonna take at least 90 days. Something like this is gonna take longer because of all the stuff you have to do. Get your drawings done, get them submitted, and then get your permit in hand so when you hit closing day, you can actually start executing and you don't have to worry about people showing up and saying, oh, this isn't done right, or this isn't acceptable. Now, with that said, even if we had done that, Justin, we wouldn't have known to permit the sewer line because we overlooked that during due diligence. So it wasn't in scope. Sure. So, yeah, but we knew that we were doing a big construction project. It was highly visible, and there was plenty of publications around it and papers and so on once we closed and told people what our plan was. And so for somebody to think that that level of work was going to happen and the inspectors not see it or have something to say about it, it was just ridiculous. Right. Okay. So do you chalk that up to just first time through, you just
1: didn't know, you didn't have the experience, right? So so now you do. Well, kind of. I
0: mean, some of it's partnership, right? Okay. If you got partners in the deal and you want to go one way as asset manager and your partners don't think it's important to do that, there's but so much give and take that is going to happen. You're either going to agree to spend the money beforehand, or you're not, right? There's yeah. a lot of people who expect deals to fall apart, so they're only going to spend what they absolutely have to spend when they don't have another option but to spend it. I don't know that I blame the person that feels that way, but I do know that waiting until that point can cause some pretty big time delays and I it's going really to really
1: set you back once you close right and so so for the listeners what you're talking about is through the due diligence process there's so many so many checks that you have to write to to get this property to closing um, but there's sort of the bare minimum like I need my uh, my legal and my closing costs and all that but if you're like proactive like Jerome is suggesting and and getting those permits done and getting those drawings done yeah if you don't close that's money that's gone out the door But if you are any sort of confident that you're going to close on this deal, get it going, get those permits going, get all that work ahead of time. Because if you run into a scenario like Jerome did, you know, occupancy is not going to last forever, right? Rent coming in is not going to last forever, especially right now. Recording this in 2020 or the middle of COVID, like who knows what's going to happen, right? Another wave is coming potentially. Get everything in line so you can hit the ground running with that business plan. You can't wait. You really can't wait. Every day that you wait, I feel like it's exponentially worse. And uh, you know, that's something that we've learned across a lot of our deals. It's like, oh, we'll get to it or we'll we'll implement that water savings plan down the road. And it's like, man, what, what a stupid thing. Like, let's do that day one. Like, why wait? Going back to what you said before, like come in, capitalize, come in with the cash to do the projects you have to do. Why? You're not gonna get it out of cash flow over time. Get the cash in, start the work, start before you even close so you can hit the ground running. Really good stuff. So we have to continue the story, right? So the sewer line, you know, <laughs> assuming, okay, you get permits, what's, what's the next step? How do you start climbing
0: out of this hole? Yeah, so we get the sewer line in, start getting stuff connected, fill the holes back in, put the concrete in, and now it's a regular construction project. You do all the pretty stuff, right? All the surfaces that people touch, then you get it filled up. I mean, and that's Oh, but wait, there's one more. Sorry. So while we're going through this, we had cages on the HVAC units, outside HVAC units. Somebody um, over the course of a week or so came to the property and tucked the units apart in the cages and then tucked the parts out.
1: Okay. So this is like some kind of wire or mesh, mesh cage around the AC unit.
0: It wasn't mesh. It was just the pipes. So some of them are the really cheap ones are just some bent pipes. There's Mm -hmm. four of them. So there's plenty of access, but you just can't pick up the unit together and take it away. Right. So you can't just pick
1: it up. But if you are crafty like this guy, you can come in and dismantle it piece by piece and haul it on out of there. Wow. Uh, And that was not that was I'm sure not very cheap to uh, to replace.
0: Right. No, because you have to do the inside and the outside now. Yep. Yeah. And was that, that was not in your budget, in your scope of work? It was for half. So half the building has central HVAC, the other half did not. So our budget was to do half the building. And so when we got to this point, and here's another great one. So you, you're getting the best stuff, man. I've never talked about this on podcast. So I it. we changed our insurance policy 15 days before this happened. And so if you think that that didn't trigger an investigation by the insurance company. Mm,
1: Yeah. A little, a little sketchy there, right? Super sketchy.
0: So why, why did you change your insurance policy? Because we realized that we had a full blown construction project because we didn't have anybody on site. Okay. We needed to go from a builder's risk policy to whatever the other policy is so that we would, because we had a construction project going instead of, a change right. in terms type situation. Right.
1: Right. Okay. So you, so you changed that and then here comes this surprise 15 days later. Okay. So were you able to file a claim? We filed a claim, but we still don't have the money. How long ago was this? At least two years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a good lesson there too. In, in anyone that says, well, we're covered with insurance. Like, yes, technically recovered, yeah. maybe. Right. And, and, but then there's all these other circumstances. And now look, two years later, you're still waiting for that money. Meanwhile, it gets hot, right? <laughs> this property is in the South. It gets hot in the summer and people need air conditioning. So that's money that has to come out of your pocket, out of the property mm-hmm. to go pay for those air conditioners. Or you, you frankly can't rent rent an air a unit without some kind of cooling in, in the South. It's just too much. That's crafty on that guy's part. And, and, really unfortunate. Is this something this, you know, this, do you know, like, was this guy doing this in the middle of the night? Like, was there not, um, you know, enough people on site to see this? I imagine with all these contractors and construction guys around, someone would have would have seen something.
0: Well, so I think majority of it was done at night, but we had to stop work on the property because we didn't have the permits at one right. the There weren't, People coming. So we don't actually know when it happened, but we do know that it happened. But back to the point of it not being cheap, right? So, say we planned on doing half of them, and this is my favorite part for everybody who's a fix and flipper and they think they're going to come over to multifamily, it's going to be all good. If you underestimate your HVAC budget on single family house by, let's call it $2,000, just because it's a nice round number and I'm not good at math, well, that's $2,000. That's probably in your contingency. Yep. If you underestimate a 25 unit property by $2,000 for each unit, that's half a million dollars. Some people are really wealthy and they can write a check for that. Yeah. I'm not the person that could have written a check for that at that point. And so what do you do when you have that situation happen? Especially when, oh, oh, by the way, somebody stole units that we didn't expect to do and so add that on top of it and so just keep in mind like this isn't for the faint at heart and it's certainly not a poor man's game
1: very expensive it's very expensive i had something very similar Jerome, on my 40 unit that i did on my first projects and same thing half the acs did not work and You know, the the seller going in had told me, you know, they had replaced 10 of them, but they didn't connect it right and it ended up burning out the units and it's like, okay, that times $4,500 a piece. It's like, that is not, that just blows out your whole budget. It's not easy to come back from something like that and it'll set you back a, a good bit. All right, so much good stuff here, by the way, guys. Please go back and listen to this again. The amount of notes I'm taking, Jerome, is so many, so many good tidbits here, and uh, I want to appreciate, you know, I appreciate you sharing everything. Let's let's keep going because I I feel like we're about to push through this story here. So you, you, now you're down to the basically the cosmetic level renovations. You're filling up the property. How long does it really take you to go from? So you said four months to get from 23
0: to zero. How long does it take us to to build that back up? Uh, probably 12 months overall yeah. I mean it's just you go through you, you get one building ready you get people moved in you move to the next and yeah I mean permits permits took a while drawings took a while and so we imagine going to zero you're writing the mortgage check every month along the way right until you get to turn your revenue back on and so yeah I mean probably, 12 months or so to get back to where we're making money. And now, you know, it's phenomenal. And so $1,100 you
1: know, a unit,
0: right? 12. 12. Right? Look at that. And look, hey, Justin, we're ahead of our performer. We decided when we underwrote this property that we might be able to get $850 a month for this these units. But through the quality of our asset manager and our property manager, they've been able to go to market and get us 1195. I don't, I'm not real good at math, but that's, that's a huge number. Yeah. A huge percentage. Yeah.
1: Congratulations. And if you're not watching, you know, big smile on Jerome's face, just, it's so easy to make the story sound so good. Uh, and it is. And by the way, it, the fact is that multifamily, it, it is resilient. And moving forward, yeah, you had a rough, really rough year and a half, right? But now you're two years into this, you're occupied, you're cash flowing at that higher rate. Eventually, you know, you'll refinance into probably some lower term debt and just kind of ride it out, right? And and you are adding value. And and the fact is that getting the $1,200 rents versus the $800 rent, your asset is worth that much more. And so, so there is some truth to all those great stories and, and that upside, but it is a much harder slog to get
0: there than, uh, than most people make it seem. And since you brought up the bank, let's talk about the bank. Yeah, right? let's do it. So they were phenomenal. You know, we went through our interest-only period. We went through the point where we needed to convert and be stabilized. And they worked it out with us where if we added some additional money to the pot, then they'd be willing to extend the term and they'd be willing to increase our construction line because we spent all the money that we initially received. And I was like, this is phenomenal because they could have foreclosed and taken the property back and said, you guys failed to perform. Boom, boom, boom. But they didn't. They said, you're making progress. You've got the right people inside. You're you're going through the thing. But they didn't have to. And I think this part is extremely important, especially when people are going to get into these super heavy lifts on their first deal and they're going to do it with bridge debt. A bridge lender would not do that because it's all about the burn. It's all about the churn. It's like, absolutely. okay, we did the deal. We got the money back. We did the deal. We got the money back. That's how they maximize their money. And if you don't perform and the property is worth Tough. something, yeah. lend to own. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. So was this a community bank? Sounds like a small community bank. Okay. Very similar, Jerome, um, between my 40 unit and your 23 and, and same. Like, how do you get the bank to do that, by the way? Is it, how do you communicate with them? How do you get them on your side? And just any tips
0: there? I think, being honest and transparent is the, the foundation of that. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what happened, but here's what we're going to do to fix it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You got to have that second piece. If you don't have a plan on how you're going to get to the new space, then they don't have any confidence in you as an operator. And so don't bring them some problems, bring them solutions and bring some money (laughs) because it's going to cost.
1: (laughs) You're absolutely right. Uh, Wow, absolutely amazing stuff, Jerome. Uh, So, so property now is uh, is in pretty good shape, though.
0: Moving
1: forward, property's in great shape. Fully renovated now, right? New sewer line, uh, fully permitted. I mean, you got everything going for you now.
0: What more could you ask for, Justin? I mean, we've basically we've practically doubled the rents over the course of two years. More than doubled the value of the property from purchase price. Everything's brand spanking new. Now we can do one or two things now. We can refinance this property, get all of our original investment back and just ride it out, or we can take it to market and harvest all of our equity. It's great to be in such a strong position. And it's only because we have phenomenal property management and asset management that got us to this place.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They've been flawless. No
1: problem. Uh, You know what, though? There is something to be said for the resilience that comes with this. And knowing that you'll find a solution and knowing you'll be able to, to push forward, whether it's getting the bank to bend a little bit by bringing more cash. You know, there is so many opportunities to be creative with solutions in multifamily. And um, to your point, though, the, the expense side could be extremely high because, you know, a few thousand dollars doesn't seem like a big deal, but a few thousand dollars per unit uh, starts to add up really quickly. So with that, then any final parting thoughts, just, you know, if you were to go back and and do this project again, any, anything that we did not cover any of these topics that you might suggest someone getting into a 23 unit, you already said, you know, avoid bridge or be very careful, do your due diligence, start, start early. Sometimes you just, and come in with a lot of cash. Really, was what I took from this. So that you don't, if you do get in a situation where your occupancy drops, that you can uh, go ahead and hit the gas on the renovations and, and push your way through it.
0: I would say that your partners make the biggest difference in your deal. So, so tell
1: me, tell me about that a little bit. Cause you alluded to that earlier, but we didn't really talk about it. So let's, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah.
0: I, I would say that just because somebody's got a big balance sheet or they have bought a property before, doesn't mean that they're actually an operator. Right. And so When you're going to do something that's a heavy value add, heavy reposition, where you're going to grow rents pretty aggressively, you want to make sure that you have an operator on the team who can get the group ready for what may or may not happen. Because there's nothing fun about going back to your partners and saying, we're going to run out of money. We need everybody or whoever can to pony up another whatever the number is there's absolutely nothing fun about that. And if you don't have the right people involved in the game, then you can be surprised by that. And we had a conversation in March where I said, hey, look, we've got a problem. We need to do something about it now. And again, like I was told before, hey, don't worry about it, it's gonna be fine. September rolled around and then they saw the problem that we talked about in March. And they are like, okay, well, We're going to have to do something about this before the end of the year. And when they dismissed me in March, I said, guys, if we don't do anything about this now, I'm not putting another penny in the project because we will have wasted X amount of dollars by waiting. And that was a really interesting conversation because we had to go through the project. But if you're not, if your perspective, if your opinion, if your wisdom guidance isn't valued by the team, At some point, you have to put your foot down because you're in this thing, just like a marriage you're in Mm -hmm. until you're out. And so in order to get people to hear your voice, there may be times where you have to do things to make it very clear to them that you should hear me when I speak. And that for me, was probably the toughest lesson that I had to learn in this situation. So it's great that you met somebody at a conference or a meetup and you Mm -hmm. want to do a deal with them. If they don't have the experience that you need in order to go do the project you want to do, and you think that you're going to be successful at it just because you're two smart people, I caution you. If you are partnering with somebody who has never made a mistake, it's always somebody else's fault. I caution you not to join that person in a partnership because you're going to mess up their perfect streak because you're going to make mistakes just like they will. It's just a matter of whether or not you're willing to admit it.
1: Well, that's it. If you can't admit it, and everyone has, everyone has made a mistake, and and many, right, many times over. But if you can't talk about it, uh, then yeah, what? How how could I possibly work with you, Um, Jerome? That was a killer way to end this episode. 100% agree with you in all of that. And uh, I've had partners in the past on small deals, medium-sized deals, and uh, when it doesn't work, it can be tough because you're you're now intertwined in an asset possibly with investors. And now there's, there's a whole slew of things that, that can go wrong. And, and if you're not on the same page, uh, can absolutely cause trouble. So what's your tip then for finding
0: a, a good partner or someone that you, you could partner with? I think the first thing is make sure that your values are aligned. And that sounds like super esoteric, right? But let me make it very practical and plain for you. If you both want to make a positive impact on the community, through your investment, and profit isn't your main motivator, that's an example of aligned values. If you actually see your residents as people instead of dollar signs, that's aligned values. There's a number of other things, but be very clear about what your investment thesis and objective are, and make sure that everybody's aligned with that, because it will decide how you make decisions. You know, I've I've, I've had an experience with a property manager who said, well, what does it matter? We don't want these people here anyway. That bothered me because these people still call this place home. Right. And until they don't call this place home, they should be paying us rent. So I absolutely want them there because this doesn't work if they don't pay. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I when you hear things like that, you just want to make sure that before you get into the deal that you know that that's the perspective so that you know how to operate and you'll know how people are going to vote when things come up
1: yeah no that's that's really great I, i love that talking about you know what what you're going to do when when it comes down to it right do you how do you handle that tenant scenario how do you handle where where's your priority and like you said, are we doing this just for the dollar and we're going to squeeze every penny out of this, which is what results in you know terms like slumlord? Um, or are we going to invest in the community and make this a better place where people to live? And like you said, call home, which is so, so important because this is a place that they call home. So, man, really great episode, Jerome. Um, and that was just the first deal. So we definitely have to have you back for another um thank you for coming on the show. I want to give you a few minutes to uh tell the listeners uh where they can find you and uh besides the podcast which we talked about but you can go
0: ahead and mention that again and uh, anything else you want to bring up. Yeah man. So if you guys want to learn more about our four step process for running and owning multifamily, you can hit myersmethods.com and there you get our lead magnet which is it just tells you our process, and there's a a 15 minute interview where I go through why I like joint ventures more than syndication. Great, that's well, it.
1: That's it. All right, MyersMethods.com, and uh, go get that go get that 15 minute interview because uh, you know I'm a syndication guy. Jerome's a JV guy. That's okay. We can still talk to each other, and uh, good good bad and ugly for for both options. I think. So, uh, Jerome, thank you so much. So many great lessons. Definitely appreciate it. If you guys like this show, please leave us a great rating and review. Find out more about Jerome on our website, truemultifamily.show. Show Show notes will be up. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search true multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.